0: friends, and welcome to the Law School Lineup Podcast, We're your hostesses, Rachel and Monica, each week we'll be dishing out some tips and tricks for surviving law school or something like that. Get the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we aren't afraid to spill it all. What's up, you guys? This is Monica. We are rolling into another episode of the Law School Lineup. We have been out for a few weeks. Rachel is going through some family stuff, and we've both been swamped with school. I cannot assure you that your 2L year gets easier, because it definitely does not. Um, I am doing a Q&A today, some questions on ASU, and then Phoenix itself, and then just some general questions that came through as well. Um, so I want to start off by saying... Our condol- condolences to Miss Ginsburg. For those who don't know, uh, she was a Supreme Court Justice and she worked to advance equal rights for women long before she was actually on the Supreme Court. Um, but she co founded the Women's Rights Project and she basically fought her entire career to protect against gender discrimination, specifically for women. So she is she is famous for the saying, I dissent because the majority of the opinions that the Supreme Court ruled, she would rule the opposite. But for some of you who have been following us for a long time, we did a post, I don't know, it's been months ago now, about Ginsburg at age 83 still doing... 20 push-ups every day. And I read this morning that her personal trainer, Bryant Johnson, did push-ups in front of Justice Ginsburg's casket. So moving forward from this, a lot of things are going to change, especially with Trump in office. So we we might do an episode on that if you guys want to get more into the ins and outs. We're obviously talking about it a lot in law school so I will save that for another episode. Okay, so let's get into the questions. My first question is how hot really is Arizona? The simple way to put this is it's friggin' hot, you guys. It's, we moved, let's see, it was probably June or July, and it was 115 every single day, and for those who don't know, I'm from Central Oregon, Bend specifically, so Even in the summer, you wake up in the morning and you have those crisp mornings, but here you wake up and it's still 90 degrees outside, so that's been for sure a little bit of an adjustment, and especially too, like Starbucks came out with their pumpkin line, and I was like, what the heck? It is not fall. There's no leaves. It's still 100 degrees every single day. It's almost the end of September, and it's still averaging over 100 every day. The mornings are getting a little bit more crisp, but with that being said, everyone has really great AC, so it hasn't been an issue. In the summer, it seems like Arizonians just don't go outside, and that's fine, because the rest of the year, we can run and hike and do all the fun things outside, but yeah, the heat is bad I and I can do heat I feel like bend gets I don't know a week or two in the summer where it's 100 degrees but this is a totally different ball game it's super super hot so yes Arizona is really hot I think the biggest transition though was the scorpions I think in my total life I had only seen one scorpion before coming to Arizona and we my husband and I go hunt the scorpions like in our front and backyard every night and our we call it our kill chart is now up to 70 scorpions and we have only lived here for a few months luckily none of them have been in the house but that was definitely an adjustment too we live south of phoenix a little bit because he commutes to work um in sierra vista which is really really south I hear the city, though, isn't as bad, so that's a plus, and I can say that I haven't seen any on campus or downtown or anything like that, so that's a plus. And then there are also rattlesnakes. We haven't seen one, but we have had our dog off leash a couple of times, and people have warned us on the trails about rattlesnakes. So that's something to be aware about too. And then there also is monsoon season here, which is August. And monsoon season basically is just a month where there's an hour or two a day that it rains really, really hard. And there's also these toads that come out of the ground during monsoon season. They're called Colorado River toads and their skin is toxic. So if your dog touches it, it can kill them. Okay, but other than all of that, it's been really great. I really, really like Arizona so far. We're excited to do some more hiking. We want to go up to Sedona and and do some hiking. It's a little bit higher there, so it's cooler. But there's this canyon called the Wave Canyon that we live pretty close to. And then Havasu, obviously, we want to do. There's just a lot of stuff that we want to explore down here. So we're waiting for the weather to get a little bit cooler And I think I'm going to have nothing but awesome things to say after summer is over. (laughs) So um, another question I was asked is, how's the town surrounding? The town surrounding is really, really nice. For me, it's the biggest city I've ever lived in. This question was asked by Kenzie. And shout out to Kenzie. She just got into ASU. But she's from New York, so if she decides to come here, it's not going to be that big of an adjustment. For me, Bend was only 60,000 people when I left, and then Boise is about 200,000 people, probably a little bit more. But it's so spread out, like there's so much space, it's not just city. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me, but overall the city is really, really clean. The people are really, really nice. I've been doing the majority of my classes online, though, and with that being said, I think the majority of people are at my school, so I will get into that, too. I wanted to get the questions out of the way first that were not school-related. I think the majority of the rest of them are, so let's hop into it. This question is from Kenzie as well. Is ASU more competitive being a top 25 school? I would say yes and no. The reason why I say that is because I anticipated it being more competitive and just everybody being a lot smarter. I will say that definitely is the case. I think there are a lot of smart kids at ASU and the cold call quality has been just night and day from my last school Um, and I will say the preparedness. And what I mean by that is when somebody gets cold called, they always have an intelligent answer, and that wasn't always the case in my last school, but that could also be just like 1L year compared to 2L year, but the quality and the thinking that the students at ASU are doing compared to Concordia is just, it's night and day. But I do want to touch in relation to being more competitive. I wouldn't say the students are more competitive. I haven't felt that. Like still nobody wants to talk in class nobody wants to get cold called i see that there's still like the same like not teachers pets but like people who want to be heard and want their professor to notice them which i think is normal in law school not everybody thinks it is but you have to find mentors and grow your network and this is a way to do it it starts in law school Um, you start growing your net, and that's not only with students, but it's also with professors. It's with everybody, so I don't feel that it's an issue if students want to be heard. I actually support that fully. Okay, next question is, how are the classes and professors at ASU? You guys, they are amazing. I I could say, I could go on and on and on. They all have just a level of professionality and expertise. One of my professors is a judge who's teaching us professional responsibility. Another is a DA. So basically, almost all my professors are actually working in the field that they are teaching which I cannot tell you is so dang helpful because instead of theory, they give you hypotheticals that are actually occurring, you know, or have have occurred. These are cases that they have already done that we're now able to walk through and essentially learn from them. So even through Zoom, it hasn't been an issue. My professors have been absolutely awesome. And my classes, oh my gosh. I think it's so fun to be in 2L year because you kind of figure law school out, and you figure out how to study, and you figure out how to answer cold calls and briefcases, so your 2L year is just so much more fun. I think a lot of it is because you're not so much working out of fear, but you kind of figured out this law school thing, and I think a big part of it too is you don't put as much pressure on yourself. And then too, i I'm reluctant to say this, but I think it's really important, especially for those of you who are still deciding on which school to go to. I just think the level of professionality and your teacher's intelligence should just be A++ because they have baby lawyers in their hands that are going to be practicing law in a couple of years for real-life clients. So... This definitely correlates to which school you pick. I would definitely say the level of professionality in a top 25 school is just night and day from a school who isn't ranked or is very low ranked. So just something to keep in mind. If you guys have any questions regarding that, just DM me. I'm happy to answer them. The next question is, how did you learn to retain so much in law school? This is a really good question because that is something that I think I have struggled with probably the most through law school. Whoever asked this question, you're absolutely right. It's so much information and it's really, really difficult. It's not something that most people know how to do, but it is something that you can learn and there are skills that will help you become better at it. One thing that helps me a lot is outlining. I know there are different views on this. Some people don't like to outline, but for me, outlining is what helps me retain information the best. So basically with this, I would start with the syllabus or your table of contents for the class that you are studying for and I would make an outline based on the topics that you've gone over in the syllabus or in the table of contents. And then all the subcategories I would put into your outline and then just supplement it with all the things that you learned in class and all the cases that you went through. Um, And then every morning I just try and regurgitate the outline. I just write exactly what I need to know for each topic and each subtopic. And for the areas that I cannot regurgitate just off the top of my head, those are the areas that I know I need to focus on because typically the areas that I'm not grasping are the ones that I can't remember to put on the outline. But I will say if you understand a concept when you see a question about it, you should automatically think about the things you learned in class or the things you read. If you don't, That means you need to just spend more time on it. You're not comprehending it to the level that you should. And again, outlining can help that. If you outline the areas that you're struggling with and then you regurgitate it cold turkey, that's what helps me uh, memorize and retain information. And not only me, but that is a proven way to retain more information. So definitely do that. I know other people do flashcards. Flashcards are super helpful, especially, I remember in 1L torts class, there are so many different elements to memorize, so flashcards might be really good for a class like that. So, yeah, retaining information is hard, but you just have to find tools that help you retain information. Those are a couple that work for me. If you have others, definitely DM them to us, and we will talk about them Uh, on the next podcast. Okay, the next question is, what about the Native Law Program? Sounds fascinating. Is it open to all? So, those who don't know, Arizona has connections with 22 tribes and has a crazy good Indian Law Program. Um, It's become one of the most respected Indian Law programs in the nation. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It is really, really cool. It is open to all. Basically, with the specializations at ASU, you don't have to apply for them. You basically just tell the registrar that's what you're doing, and you have to take a certain amount of courses within that specialization. So, for example, international law, you're going to be taking 2L and 3L L year more like international transactions and international tax or like things like that where it's specific to what you want to specialize in. Another big one down here is immigration because we're on the border to Mexico. And I think that's super interesting too. Um, Just immigration laws, helping immigrants become citizens and all of that. I'm not sure what I want to specialize in yet. I'm keeping my options open. Right now, I am in bankruptcy, criminal procedure, evidence, civil rights, and professional responsibility. So I am learning a lot this semester, especially in the civil rights litigation class. It's been very, very interesting because with the current politics going on, there are a lot of people with very strong beliefs. I'm definitely a firm believer of being intelligent on both sides. I think not only as a citizen, but as a future attorney, becoming educated as much as you can on United States history and civil rights in our country is very, very important. So that class has been interesting to say the least, because again, people have very, very strong beliefs. As we know, or if you don't know, the law is very analytical and less subjective. They always tell us in law school that part of being a good attorney is knowing what your opposing attorney is going to be arguing. So again, it's very, very important to be intelligent on both sides, the whole subject, and that's what I stand for. Okay, the next question is, what is your day like? What time do you wake up? I am not like other people, so don't feel like you have to do this in law school. Take what I'm going to say with a grain of salt, and also I am a morning person, so it totally doesn't bother me, but my husband is in the U.S. Army. He has been in for a very long time, and he is stationed in Sierra Vista, so that's about two and a half hours south of Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix. For school, obviously. So long story short, he commutes most days, two and a half hours every morning and night. So we typically get up around six to seven, and that's how I start my day. I start at six or seven. I own a business. For those of you who don't know, we launched September 1st. So in the mornings, my dog and I go for a walk, and we go to the post office, and we usually get a coffee and he gets a puppuccino. We ship out everything that we sold the day before and then we get home and we start working. We start doing homework and reading and we typically are done around five or six. There are some days where I have to read like later into the night, but we always try to go to bed pretty early because we get up so early. I think it's definitely important in law school to figure out when you're most productive in the daytime. So whether it's the morning or the evening, that's when you should be studying because you're going to be retaining the most information during that time frame. For me, it's mornings. But I will say that I do have class three days a week till 7 p.m. So after 7 p.m., it's long days and I want to be done. I want to touch on this too, though, because I know a lot of people go to law school and they have a husband or they have a family, and I want to tell you it's totally doable. My dad even did it with uh, my brother and I, so totally doable. I have friends in law school who are parents. Typically, they just treat it as a day to day, Monday through Friday. 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., but they are productive that entire 40 hour week. They're not sitting on their butt, they're not hanging out with their friends at law school, they're studying and they're reading hard during the time that they're not in class. But other than that, I wouldn't say I'm the most productive person during the day. I do get everything I need to get done. I don't like to read in advance because by the time you get cold called in class, if you've read the case a week or two weeks before, I feel like that's not super helpful and you don't remember as many of the facts. So I like to read like the day before or the day of if you have time and then all the information is fresh. I am also way more productive the farther in the semester that we get. For instance, I just ordered all of my supplements for the classes that I feel like I need a little bit more help. So now is the time where I'll start outlining really hard, reading my supplement, and I will also do that on top of all the reading and homework we already have. This will just like ensure that the topics that I'm a little iffy about or the class time just isn't doing it I will learn from the supplement. I can't tell you how much I love supplements. They really just break down the reading into simpler terms and sometimes when you read the information and then you learn about it in class or you learn about it from your classmates and then also on top of that you have a supplement, it just clicks at some point. So definitely a huge advocate for supplements and that will be in my day-to-day routine from now until the end of the semester. Okay, I feel like I answered that kind of vague, so I'm just going to do by the hour. 6 a.m., wake up. 7 a.m., go to the post office, get a coffee. 7 to probably 7.15, give my dog a belly rub and play with toys. And then 7.15, to 10, I will erase my whiteboard, write every new thing that I need to do today, which you think is a simple task, but I think it takes me at least 20 minutes because I write every single thing that I need to do. Every page I need to read, every problem I need to do, every supplement pages I need to read, and then I like to watch Barbary videos, so I'll put in time to watch the Barbary videos and take notes on those and then I typically work out for an hour and shower and then I will do more readings and problems and then depending on when I get done with all my schoolwork I will work on our business and sometimes that's going to the post office again or product testing, new inventory, working on the website, etc. cetera. And then we typically watch Shark Tank and are in bed by probably nine. So I hope that answers your question. I'm gonna move on to the next one. The next one is what do you wish you knew when you were applying to law school and after that while in 1L? I'm assuming you mean applying for 1L year and then applying again for transfer. Um, I guess I wish I would have known how much the LSAT really dictates where you will get accepted to. I think I didn't put a lot of effort into studying for the LSAT, and I generally did really well in undergrad, so I didn't think that I needed to study very hard, which in reality I didn't because I owned a house in Boise. I'd bought a house. I'd been there for three years. That was our plan to stay up in Boise. So I knew which school that I wanted to go to. So I got the score that I needed to get in order to get into that school, which was fine, easy, great. But I will definitely say I've had other friends who didn't get into the schools that they wanted because they didn't get the LSAT score that they needed to get into that school. So if you have your eye on a specific school, just know you need to study your butt off to get that average LSAT admission score because generally, and I hate to say this, but an addendum or something trying to vouch for yourself saying you are good enough when your LSAT score doesn't show it Typically one a year, they'll just deny you because they have so many other qualified applicants. So if you have your eye on a specific school, definitely study how you need to to get that average LSAT score. And then on the latter, when I was applying the transfer, obviously ASU is a really great school and obviously I did average on my LSAT. I was shocked how little your LSAT score means your 2L year or your 3L year. What I mean by that is a top 25 school would accept someone like me because my 1L grades were really good, but there's no chance in heck they would have accepted me 1L year. So with that being said, I wish I just would have taken the LSAT more seriously because that was a huge stress an anxiety point for me when I was applying to transfer because I thought they were going to take the LSAT score more seriously. Which they don't. The LSAT score is designed to show how you will perform in law school, and obviously there are outliers. Some will perform how their LSAT score shows them, but others will outperform their LSAT score. So, that's definitely one thing that I wish I would have known when applying 1L year and then applying to transfer is LSAT score matters 1L year a lot. LSAT score doesn't matter when you're trying to transfer. Your grades at your 1L year law school are going to matter the most. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, Another one is just having people that advocate for you. This one is huge. I have always had really great mentors, and I think that has attributed to a lot of my successes. For instance, I worked for three years at Deloitte & Touche, and I had someone there write me a killer letter of recommendation. And I will say, a killer letter of recommendation from your undergrad professors or the place that you worked are just just invaluable. Not only for your legal career, but moving forward, it's very, very important. That's definitely something I wish I would have put more weight on my 1L year. Your letter of recommendations and your connections and references are super important, especially when getting into law school or applying to law school. So I wish I would have made those relationships earlier. With that being said, I think I knew how valuable mentors and making connections was my 1L year of law school, so I made some really, really great connections with my professors, and I still contact them to this day to ask for advice or to let them know I had gotten into ASU and how it's going. So I think that's something I know now, and I know the value of it now, but I think Before one a year, before going to law school, I didn't understand how much it was going to weigh on my application. So definitely make those connections and have really, really good letters of recommendation for your applications. And then I think lastly for this question... I would say the early application deadlines. If you can take the LSAT early and get into law school early, they do rolling admissions. Basically, what rolling admissions are for those who don't know, rolling admissions is when you submit your law school application, they will review it as they come in and start accepting students as applications come in. Some people say it doesn't matter if you get it in early because If you're not qualified for the school, they're still going to deny you. But I think it's also an advantage if you apply early because you're guaranteeing yourself one of those spaces when they only have a specific number of spaces that they are going to accept for that fall or spring program. So take that as you wish. The question was, what do I wish I knew when I was applying for law school 1L year, and then also as transfer. And those are the three things, LSAT connections and the role in admissions. Okay, the next question is, super new to law school stuff and not ASU related, but does a master's help significantly in an admission? My short answer is no. Law school admissions committee takes little account to a master's degree when they make their decisions. With that being said, they typically look at undergraduate GPA and LSAT scores. If the school is very, very competitive, they will look to other forms of education, such as a master's or uh, philanthropy work and things of that sort. So it just depends what school you're going to. But the majority of them are going to look at your LSAT score and your GPA. The reason I say really competitive schools might look at it differently is... They're going to have a lot of identical applications, people with really good LSAT scores, and people with really good undergraduate GPAs. So, at that point, to stand out from your peers, then they'll take consideration on other parts of your resume or other parts of your education. So, that's where maybe you would want a master's. But overall, on the professors that I've talked to, they don't take that into account. They typically want a 1L class that's pretty diverse, so they accept people of all educations, all walks of life, all ages, and that's what creates that diversity and a really great learning environment in law school. So if you're considering to do a master's before you apply to law school, I would say no, definitely don't do it. If you're already in your master's program, it can't hurt. So stay in your master's program, finish it out, and then decide if you want to go to law school or not. But the question was, will it significantly help in admissions? The answer is no, it will not significantly help you get into law school. Okay, the next question is, how did your perception of ASU differ from the actual experience? This is a really great one because I think when people think Of the top 25 law schools, they think of all this prestige and everyone's gonna be so smart. Very similar to people going into their 1L year thinking, man, I'm gonna be the bottom of the barrel. I don't know how I'm gonna do this. But it's not like that. It's everybody again is just sure really smart, but also very, very helpful. And the professors are just there to help you with the law. And they definitely want you to succeed. Their biggest goal is absolutely to help us pass the bar. So definitely um, my perception of ASU was a little bit different, too, because I wasn't sure whether I was going to be in person or online. And I've been completely online so far. I've gone to campus a few times, but only to study or find out where my classrooms were, but the majority of the students are now just going online through Zoom. So that's been a little bit of an adjustment, but it's been fine. The professors are equipped to do that. I did have the perception that I would make really fast, great relationships with my professors and find new mentors here in the Phoenix area which that's been extremely hard to do with COVID. So I am working on that. I think one all year was so easy because if I had a question after class, I would just go up to the professor or go to their office hours and I would just sit and chat with them. And I was able to make that relationship with them. And due to COVID, you kind of just log off after the Zoom class ends And that's been super weird for me. And also I'm still hesitant to do the office hours on Zoom because it's just gonna be me and the professor through like webcam. So I have to get over that fear. It's a changing world, but that perception of ASU is definitely not how I imagined it to be, but that's also due to COVID. And then lastly, I knew the education was going to be way better than my previous school. And that perception has definitely lived up to what I thought it was going to be. And not only just the education, but the administration, just how they run their school is just another level of professionality and transparency with the students. So yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't regret it for a minute and it's lived up and succeeded everything that I thought it was going to be. Okay, I have two more questions, so I'm going to try and get through them as quickly as possible. The first one is, um, are there clinics and externships that I'm participating in at ASU? So far currently, no. Will I? Yes, definitely. I'm kind of waiting out to see what happens with COVID because most of the externships are remote. A lot of people like that, but again, I know the value of great relationships in just the Zoom virtual world, you definitely don't make that same tight-knit connection than if you are in the same office as somebody or learning from somebody in person. So I'm definitely just monitoring COVID and monitoring the situation and hopefully it becomes alleviated because I really don't want to do an externship virtually. The clerkship in Boise was already half virtual, half in person, and I felt like I've made some really good connections, but it was because that time that I had with my supervisors, um, the other law clerk, and the judge in person, so I definitely am sort of waiting it out and seeing what happens. I might take one next semester during the year or summer or my 3L year, so definitely something I'm monitoring. There are also a few pro bono opportunities that I want to do, but they are on pause because COVID, so once so start back up, I'll definitely do those too. Okay, the last question is, you're always talking about whiteboards, but can you show us your organization with it or other things? I love this question because it's so true. We talk about whiteboards like they're the new freaking goddess or something, but we never like really jump into it. I feel like it's more of a visual thing, but I'm going to try and explain it as best I can. Okay, the first use is for organization, day-to-day responsibilities. So every single morning I will write down each class on the whiteboard, and then underneath you're going to write exactly what you need to do for each class, even supplements. So for example, under criminal procedure, I have pages 367 to 450, go over automobile exceptions again. Barbary video and supplement reading so do this for every class and then once you do a task on your whiteboard cross it off and the next day you rewrite it with what you need to get done this just helps with the stress of law school and all the tasks that you need to get done and makes you prioritize things on your list so like the top priority i'll put first and then the lowest priority like supplement reading i will put on the bottom In relation to using whiteboards to study, basically this is the same concept as waking up in the morning and regurgitating your outline onto a piece of paper, but basically you write everything you know about each topic on the whiteboard. And I'm gonna give you guys a really quick example because I think you're right, we haven't like gone in the nitty gritty of this subject. So for example, in a torts class, you learn about battery And a battery is an act intending to cause a harmful or offensive contact with another person, and that harmful contact with the person directly results. So, there's a lot of elements in there. So first, for a battery, you have to intentionally want to do a harmful or offensive contact to another person. It can't be an accident. You have to intend to cause a harmful or offensive contact next the harmful or offensive contact actually has to directly result and that means i can't threaten i'm going to hit you because i didn't actually hit you i have to intentionally want to hit you and i actually hit you so when we're looking at this from a whiteboard standpoint I'm going to write battery on the whiteboard, and I'm going to try and regurgitate the definition. If I say a battery is an act one intends to cause a harmful or offensive contact to another, well, I'm missing half the definition because the harmful contact with the other person must directly result. So if I miss that it directly resulted, I'm missing an essential part of the definition. So, on the whiteboard, you will add in the part of the definition that you omitted, and this just helps with retention and regurgitation and memorization. So, to sum it up, basically you regurgitate everything you learned in class, specific topics, whatever, and if you're omitting things that are essential to the topics that you wrote on the whiteboard... You will come and you will fill it in and then you'll take a picture of it or you'll study that concept more and you'll come back to it the next time you study and the hope is that you will now remember the part that you were previously omitting. I hope that makes sense. Sometimes my mind works a little bit more analytically than others. So let me know. I thought it might also be beneficial if we post a photo on our Instagram of an example of an outline on a whiteboard and how we fill it in with the things that we don't know. So next time I do that, I'll definitely post it on the Instagram page. Thank you for tuning in this week, you guys. And sorry, we've been a little MIA. We'll see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. For more information, check out the show notes or follow us on Instagram at law school lineup. If you loved what you just listened to, or if you know somebody that would, please share it. Don't forget to tag us. Lastly, if you'd like to support this podcast, take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It would help us out a lot. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of this podcast, and we'll see you then. Thank <music> you.